chapter 3. I want to dedicate this message to Bishop Hagee today, and I want to pray and believe that God is going to touch someone's heart that will impact your life and others for eternity. Beginning of verse 13, Mark chapter 3. And he goeth up into a mountain and calleth unto him whom he would. And they came unto him. Notice verse 14. And he ordained 12 that they should be with him and that he might send them forth to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. Simon he surnamed Peter and James the son of Zebedee, John the brother of James, and he sur surnamed them Boerganes, which is the sons of thunder, and Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas and James the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus and Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, which also betrayed him, and they went into a house. Father, for these next few moments, Lord, speak to us. Lord, touch us, convict us, remind us of our calling and our responsibility. And may your word go forth and may it accomplish that which you intend for it to accomplish. We give you praise and thanks in Christ's name. And the church said, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. For a few moments today, I'd like to talk about reproducing yourself. Reproducing yourself. That one verse, and he ordained 12, that they should be with him. And that he might send them forth to preach. It was the late 90s. Sandra and I were pastoring in the Shenandoah Valley in a town called Front Royal. And while there, the Lord began to deal with me about mentoring men within the body of Christ. That my calling, not as a pastor, but as a Christian, was to teach men practical wisdom and knowledge in areas such as marriage, personal vision, handling of finances, fatherhood, temptation, how to effectively communicate. So for two years, I selected six men one year, and seven men the next year, and we met once a month in different homes for a solid year, what we called Joshua's men. One Friday night a month, for five hours, we would covenant together in prayer and confidence, fellowship, eating, and worship. And I literally watched as men were transformed right before my very eyes. I would hear testimonies from their wives. They would come to me on a Sunday, three, six months in. I had one say, what did you do with my husband? But they would note to me that God had done something significant in their husband's lives in three main areas. The home, 
the workplace, and the church. What a calling. What a blessing. What a fulfillment that it was. And yet, the Lord reminded me that that challenge and that command is for every single believer that names Christ. That we all have a commission. It's found in Matthew chapter 28. Where the Lord himself said, go ye therefore and teach all nations. All nations. All residents of all nations. Then he went on to say, teach them what? To observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. It is supposed to be perpetual. What God does in us. And how he changes our lives. We are not to keep it to ourselves. And we read in Mark 3, 14 that the disciples were to be with him. They were to spend time with him. Where he traveled, they traveled. Where he slept, they slept. Where he sat down and had a meal, they sat down and had a meal. Before he sent them, he spent time with them. That, friend, is discipling. That is mentoring, my brother and sister. That is sheep begetting sheep. And and that is a call that is without exception to every blood-bought child of God. I guess it was John Maxwell was the first one that I heard say it several years ago, a profound statement that is like this, we teach what we know, but we reproduce who we are. That it's not enough to just verbally communicate. The power of presence makes a difference in people's lives. And there's no greater model in the Word of God than we find in the man Jesus Christ. His faith, his love, his compassion, his righteous indignation, his patience, his prayer life, all of that he patterned in front of the twelve. And so they were with him, so then he could subsequently send them. He taught them, and they would in turn teach others. He lived in front of them. And they, in turn, would live it in front of others. How many of you have ever heard the idea of pay it forward? Let me see your hand. Most of us in the room have heard it. If you've, some of the younger folks may not be aware. But it originated from a book written by Catherine Hyde in 1999. It's about a young boy who was sitting in class. And he wanted to make a difference in the world. And suddenly realized that if he did kind things for three people, and then he challenged them to pay it forward to three more people, he would make a huge difference in the world. It, was, it turned out to be a movement. It turned out to be something big. It was probably one of the kindest periods of time in our nation. It swept across our nation. There were three specific rules that this uh, young boy come up with in paying it forward. Number one, it had to be something to help people. 
It had to be something to make their life better. It had to be something to add some value to their life. And I've said this many, many times. Hey, if I want to, if I want to manipulate you, that will add value to my life. But if I want to influence you, that adds value to your life. And that should be the life of the child of God. That every day that we live, we want to add value to someone else. We want to help someone coming across our path. So it had to be something to help people. The second thing, it had to be something that they couldn't do by themselves. They had to have someone outside of their sphere of influence maybe to step in and do something that they could not do themselves. So they had to, they had to be something to help people. They had to, it had to be something that they couldn't do by themselves. And you personally had to help them. You couldn't just pass it off to someone else. You had to personally be involved in their life. Now, I'm certainly not comparing the ministry to this secular book, but it's the concept that we need to get in our spirit this morning. The first thing I'll tell you is we have something that will help people. Well, praise the Lord. We have the pearl of great price. We have treasure in earthen vessels uh, that the excellency not be of us, but be for the glory of God. We have something great and eternal that can not only help people in this world, but can make a difference in the eternal world that is to come. The second thing is there are, there are some that will flounder and they will fall away without a mentor in their life. Again, I'll say, Brother Hagee said it earlier, and I've had this conversation uh, with some of you that have been in the church of God all of our lives. And there was a time that experiential, uh, experiential front door ministry made all the difference in the world. Just get them in the front door. Get them in a Pentecostal service, and that will make the difference. Well, let me tell you something, friend. Times have changed. First of all, it's hard to get them in the front door, but you can get them in through the side door. You can go to where they are. You can find their interests. You can find something that, that you can minister to them. You can strike up a friendship of something that is common ground between you and that person. And the second thing is, is that some people are just emotionally centered and because they are emotionally centered, they may come to a place in their life where the spiritual part, the emotional part of a, a Pentecostal experience begins to wear off and they begin to flounder. Every one of us know what desert seasons are like. I don't know about you, but there have been times I've prayed and I didn't feel God at all. And it can be very discouraging. And for someone that's not rooted and grounded in the faith, it can cause them uh, to fall away. What I'm telling you is, is that there are people that will come to the Pulaski Church of God and they need somebody to be a spiritual mother. They need somebody to be a spiritual father. They need somebody to come alongside of them as a big brother. They may have tattoos and piercings. Their breath may smell like alcohol, but they need one person to come alongside and say, you know what, if nobody else believes in you, I I believe in you, and I'm going to make sure you do not flounder, and I'm going to make sure you do not fall away, because I have a treasure that I want to see you enjoy like I do. The third thing is, is that you personally are assigned to help them. What is clear throughout Scripture is that we are covenant people. There's never been a doubt about that. Every one of us in here are in covenant with God. The covenant is he provided 
the gift of eternal life. He provided the gift of salvation through the shed blood of his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. Thank God for the day that I accepted the covenant. When I stand before him, it will not be because of anything that I have done, but it's simply because I accepted everything that he did on the cross of Calvary. That'll be the only reason by his mercy and grace that I'm even allowed to stand in his presence at the end of days. We are in covenant with God, but I think we forget sometimes that the covenant he has given to us and the covenant that is inside of us is also supposed to be a covenant that we extend to people that we come in contact with. Hmm. Discipleship and Christian maturity are going to be accomplished in the lives of people that walk through the doors of the church. There has to be someone that steps up and says, I want to share what God has done for me. I want to mentor the generation that is coming behind me. You see, we don't just serve an addition God, but we serve a multiplication God. And I know the results in the early church were that the Lord added daily to the church such as were being saved. But I believe he's also the God that multiplies. They multiplies exponentially. He did that with the loaves and the fishes to feed 4,000 and 5,000 people respectively. He's the one that said, with our faith, one can put 1,000 to flight, but two together can put 10,000 to flight. That's how much power there is in Almighty God and in, in the name of Jesus. And I just, I just am simple enough to believe believe that we if we if we spend time with people we can see the citizenship of the kingdom grow and expand i'm gonna tell you something that may mess you up a little bit because we have a tendency to think big and think large and preachers are the guiltiest of it there's times that we pastors go home and the number was this and we thought it was going to be this and we need therapy on sunday afternoon and then we start talking about you to our fellow pastors. I don't know where them sorry heathen were today. But I expected a good crowd, and it was disappointing. It let me down. I remember in my first church, it was a mission. It was 1993. I referenced it earlier. It was in Colonial Beach. Colonial Beach is on the northern neck. Colonial Beach has a beautiful Potomac River. But Colonial Beach is not known for a lot of anything else. The only thing that was legal at that time in 1993 was the Riverboat Casino. And the only reason that was, that was legal in, in, in Virginia because the Potomac River was considered a body of water in Maryland. And gambling was legalized in Maryland. There wasn't a whole lot going on in Colonial Beach. And man, I had heard all these stories and I was amped up for Easter Sunday. And I mean, I was ready. My little congregation of 35 people, I thought for sure we're going to have 70 people. For sure, we're going to have a great day. Did you know that everybody just about decided to go visit family on Easter Sunday? To this day, it was my first Easter, and it was the most horribly attended Easter I had ever experienced. Man, I'm telling you, I needed counseling the following week. But as I have grown in this walk and grown in my ministry, I have learned this, and this is a powerful quote that more time spent with fewer people equals greater kingdom impact. Jesus spent time not in front of multitudes. In fact, the crowd times, you could probably count on one hand. 
But oftentimes he was with a small group. Oftentimes he was with individual sessions. He was in the boat while they were fishing. He was in the desert while the few rested with him. He was on the mountainside laughing and sharing with their hurts and pains. He was with them, the power of presence, and then he was able to send them. Reggie Campbell, he's a businessman. He's not a pastor, but he is an active part of the local church. Just a layman. He loved God. And he wanted to have an impact on others coming behind him. Listen carefully. He and his wife were teaching a singles class in their church. And after class, guys were coming up to him. And they were saying, hey, Reggie, can we get together? Can we, can we talk about this issue? Can I spend some time with you and have lunch with you about this, this challenge and this temptation? And so one day in prayer, as the Lord led him, he selected eight young men to pour into them what he had learned in his 40s about God and marriage and relationships and fatherhood and business. Those were the specific areas, God and marriage and relationships and fatherhood and business. And he would take those eight young men and he would mentor them and they promised him that if he would mentor them that they would find eight men of their own and they would mentor those men. And then those men would mentor eight men of their own. Here's what happened. At the end of eight years, Reggie Campbell had discipled and mentored 64 men from church, the workplace, and the community. And they were doing the same thing, and they were paying it for. This is important, church. Listen to me. This is so critically important. Because when it was all said and done, and this is, this is powerful, in his book, Mentoring Like Jesus, those 64 men reported eight years later that one, none had fallen away from God. All of them were still serving the Lord. Two, most had a deep deeper relationship with Jesus. Three, all were still married. All 64 men were still married. Number four, all were actively involved in their local church. Number five, all were attempting to raise their kids in the faith. Is it possible that we're looking outside the door, looking for the next fad and fashion, something new to come through when the Lord is saying to us, if you'll just build some relationships and take it beyond talking about fishing and sports and the weather and the foyer and the older men get with the younger men and the older women get with the younger women and begin to pour into them the love of God. Can you imagine what would take place in the body of Christ? Notice how many alls. I'm going to read that again. 64 men that started out with him mentoring eight. None had fallen away from God. Most had a deep relationship with Jesus. All were still married. All were involved in church. All were attempting to raise their kids in the faith. Reggie Campbell wrote and he said, If that process continues for five generations of eight per year multiplying, he said there will be more than one million Christ followers uh, that he said God would allow him to use in their lives. Can you imagine 
if that kind of snowball effect began in the body of Christ, what kind of impact? Somebody said this week or said this morning to me, boy, our town needs a move of God. Our county needs a move of God. And the people that live in this county live in this town. You know some of the things that we're facing. You know the drug e epidemic. You know some of the illegal things that are going on in our own town and in our own county. And we need a move of God. And I'm afraid what we have done is we've counted on just a front door Pentecostal experiential moment for people to come in and they're not willing to come in here. What is God saying to us? God is saying it's time that you go outside the church and, and be the church and find that one that is bound up in drugs and addictions and pornography. Find them and just begin to love on them. Just begin to spend some time with them. You don't have to shove the gospel down their throat. All you have to do is show them the love of Jesus and at some point in the near future the Holy Spirit will offer you an opportunity not only to lead them to Christ but to mentor them into a strong relationship with the Lord. That's what God has called his church to do to reproduce yourself in others because of the gift the treasure in your own earthen vessel. Reggie Campbell jokingly wrote if his mentoring affects one million over five generations, he said, if only 10% show up at his funeral, it would be one of the biggest funerals in history. <laughs> Again, this is not a pastor. This is a member of his church, of the church, that has given his life to mentoring and discipleship. Guys, we need each other. Ladies, we need each other. You need each other. I'm not naive. I know. I can already tell because I've seen a couple of you look at your watch. I've seen a couple of you yawn. I won't call you by name, bless your heart. I know that you're sitting in the room and you're saying, that's for someone else. Let me tell you, if five or ten people respond to this message, it will turn this church, this town, and this county upside down. Let me give you six reasons why we do it, and I'll make them quick. Number one, we reproduce ourselves in others. We mentor others because Jesus did it. That's the obvious reason. He modeled it, and he commands it of his followers. Go make disciples. Go mentor disciples. He says to you, find someone that is farther behind on the path than you and bring them along as I did my disciples. Amen? Number two, you will find unexplained fulfillment. There is, there is no words that you will be able to attach to it. Texas and Pennsylvania and Maryland and Ohio and several across Virginia. And my wife and I have had the opportunity over nearly 30 years of pastoring, or longer than that, including our youth ministry. A few weeks back, I was, man, I was just about to burst as I stood at the front row in Baldwin, Georgia, 
and I looked as, as Penny Petty, who used to be Waters, Penny Waters. Now she's the co-pastor along with her husband, Bob, the pastor of the Life Church of God in Baldwin, Georgia. Penny was in our youth ministry in the early 90s. Now she's a co-pastor and a worship leader. And I'm going to look into the camera. I don't know. But I would, I would say, Penny, I, I am super proud of you and Bob's ministry and fruitfulness. You guys are awesome. And you have a great future in Baldwin, Georgia. There was a young man in the church in Spotsylvania. His name was Aaron. He used to work sound in the church where I was pastoring. He was a great young guy. He loved the Lord. Never really, he was kind of a solo fella. A little quirky, a little uncanny maybe. But there was something about him. There was a zeal, Brother Dan, in that young man. He just loved God. He was a teenager, just loved God. A few years back, he married another young lady from the church whose name is Jamie, and now Aaron and Jamie pastor a church of God in Houstontown, Pennsylvania. I was on his page the other day, him sharing the word. Bishop Peggy, that's what it's all about. Sometimes we lose sight of it, but that's what it's all about. It doesn't happen accidentally. It has to happen intentionally. And Aaron, if you happen to see this or hear this, know you have a proud pastor who's grateful for the nine years that God blessed me to be able to pour into you. I'm, I'm just going to tell you, maybe I'm getting old and soft. I sure am limping a little more than I used to. Bishop Hagee, in 30 years, I've been blessed to be a part of some amazing events and experiences. Building, beautifying, going to the Holy Land, partnerships and launchings of other ministries. But I'm finding as I'm getting older, it seems the crowd size on Sunday morning, though it's still important, is not outranked by those guys and girls that my wife and I was privileged to pour into that are having fruitful success themselves. That's the truth. This is not limited to pastors. This calling is for all believers. Number three, this is why we do it. It'll keep you sharp. It will keep you sharp. We need to adopt some Ironside University. Proverbs 27 and 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. There's some guys in this room that I've spent some time with, and they've got me thinking, my way is not always the right way. Listen to me. We are doing ministry in the 21st century. The culture has changed, and we have to make sure that we do ministry without compromise that impacts the culture that we live in. Wise people should be encouraging and coaching and challenging other people. Let me give you a hard truth. Most of us I'll just say all of us are not like Jesus who confounded the scribes and religious leaders at 12 years old. 
we all could stand to keep learning and being sharpened in our own skill set. You have to keep reading. You have to keep reading. Leaders are readers. We have to be on the lookout for someone to pour into and for someone to pour into us. Number four, when you reproduce yourself in others, it will make you more grateful. I stand before you grateful for those like Bishop Hagee and Pastor Carol Hurley and Pastor John Briggs, overseers that the Lord placed strategically in my life at various seasons. I'm grateful today for godly parents, but everyone needs a mentor. So you turn your gratefulness into mentoring someone in your life. Maybe the Lord is speaking to you even now. Someone comes to your heart. It doesn't have to be a believer. It can be a believer. But someone, someone, it could be in church, it could be in the workplace, but someone. Number five, you will have a real living legacy. That's the truth. You can leave money, but money can be wasted. You can leave land and property, but according to the Bible I read, eventually your land and property will perish. Do you realize today that Andrew won Peter, his brother, to Jesus? Peter later would preach a sermon and 3,000 people got saved. Peter will get rewarded for that first sermon for 3,000 people, but Andrew will get rewarded for 3,001. See, you never know that person that you're spending time with. You look at them now, but try to look at them through eyes of faith. You see, a survey was taken of people living in their 90s, and I've got a few of them in the room. And they were asked, what one thing would you do over, what would you do if you could do it over? And hands down, the majority responded, focus more on things that live beyond me. Focus more on things that live beyond me. An old Greek proverb says, society grows great when old men plant trees whose shade they will never sit under. But they still plant the trees. Finally, number six. When you reproduce yourself in others, you won't waste your life. <laughs> I read this. If your life was a dollar, how are you spending it? If your life was a dollar, how would you be spending it? Reader's Digest, 1998. 
A couple takes early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast. He's 59. She's 51. Now they live in Florida, the article said, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, they play softball, and they collect shells. This was their dream. Come to the end of your life, your one and only God-given precious life, and the last great work of your life before you give account to your creator is playing softball and collecting seashells. Now, there's nothing wrong with either one of those. But is that the way you want to leave this world? <laughs> is that the way you want to stand before the Lord? Lord, did you see them seashells I collected? You know how good my batting average was as a senior adult when I played softball, fulfilling my dream? Brother Hagee, I remember this several years ago. We had what we call Virginia Leadership Development. I was in one and two, as well as being in another program called Cluster. Just trying to soak it all in. And we had a, a very intense communicator. He was good. He was sharp. He'd call us out if we got out of line. He was very intense on developing and training. His name was Daniel Allen. And there's some things that I remember that he taught me. But there's one thing that I'll never, ever forget. And I shared this Wednesday night in class. Daniel Allen said one day, this is my personal mission, vision. He said, one day I want to stand before the Lord and I want to kneel in his presence with a basket of ripe summer fruit. That's what I want to present to him. That has never left me until the day that I breathe my last, I pray it never leaves me. Because what I don't want to do is I don't want to stand at the judgment seat of Christ and instead of having a basket of summer fruit, I have wood on this side and hay on this side. And a good gust of God's creative wind comes through and blows the wood and the hay away. And I stand there with nothing to show for it. Look at my shells. Look at my softball batting average. Would you bow your heads? not just cliche, it's so packed with truth. Only one life. Soon it will pass. Only what is done for Christ will last. Father, in the name of Jesus, as I pray this morning, the truth of the matter is there are people in this room, they're desperate for someone to mentor them. 
they're, they're, they so long for somebody to pour into them. And I pray they'll be vulnerable right now. I know they have your Holy Spirit. They have the Word of God. But they need accountability. They need wisdom. They need knowledge. They need somebody to pour into them. Oh, they love you. They serve you. But they acknowledge, man, I am I'm so deficient and I want so much to learn more about God, more about ministry, more about life. And I need, I need somebody to pour into me. Maybe there would be others who would say, you know, I feel convicted that I need to be pouring into others as an influencer, a disciple, or a mentor. I need to, I need to find someone. I need the Lord to lead me the right person or persons. I've got a lot of wisdom from life experiences that I feel like God wants me to share. I don't know if I've described you in either category, but I'm going to ask you to be vulnerable today, and I'm going to ask you to get up from where you are and just come and stand across the front of this church. You say, I'm, I'm willing to reproduce myself. And others, God has been so, so good to me. And I want to, I must, I must extend that covenant. I don't want a generation to pass. I don't want to disconnect. I don't want to be the disconnect. You come up and you say, I, just, I need someone, Pastor. I need someone, Jesus. I, I need someone. I need someone that would take the time. I need, I need a spiritual mother. I need a spiritual big brother, a father. Come on, they're coming. They're coming. I don't know which one you're up here praying for, but I want you to lift both hands to the Lord right now. I don't know if anything will birth out of this altar call or not. You may turn around and walk away from this altar, and the Lord may point someone out to you and say, that's the one. I'm telling you, this is serious stuff. Holy Spirit, have your way. Holy Spirit, have your way. You've been so, so good to me. You've been so, Lord, you see these seasoned saints standing around this altar today. You see these young adult men and women. Maybe they've only been on the journey a few years. Boy, they could sure use a spiritual mom. Lord, Lord, would you put together some divine connections this morning? You've been so good to me. You've been so good to me. God, help me to find someone. If it's not in the church, in the community, in my neighborhood, 
I've connected with the, the cashier at the grocery store I go to or the waitress at the restaurant that I attend frequently. And you can tell they're longing and they're reaching out. Maybe they're hurting. They need somebody that's just not going to have a quick prayer with them, but is, is willing. We show up at the end of our days, Lord. Give us a basket of summer fruit. Oh, Lord. Give us a basket of summer fruit to present to you because we've been faithful and therefore we've been fruitful. Holy Spirit, lead me. Oh, I feel God in this thing. Holy Spirit, lead me. Lead me in this room. Lead me this week. Lead me on the job. It may be one. It may be a group of two or three. Oh, Holy Spirit, you're doing your work. You're doing your work. Somebody's going to go out of here being intentional. Allow the Lord to seal this to your spirit today. Mm. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Thank you, Holy Ghost. We claim it is done. We claim it is done. We claim it is done. spend a little more time with your grandson. Mm. Some of you bring neighbor's kids to church on Sunday. One of them, I've been praying for her healing for over a year now, and so far, so good. But Tim, that's what it's all about. She comes to this church every single week, goes to our kids' church. Mother's not in the picture. Grandmother not doesn't bring her, so a couple from our church brings her faithfully. <laughs> we have no idea. you stand with me all over the church? Just lift your hands to heaven so Lord, use me. Come on, come on. I just sense just another moment. Just lift your hands and say, Lord, use me. Lord, use me. May I be spiritually sensitive. May I be spiritually sensitive. I've got the pearl of great price. I've got a treasure in my earthen vessel. Let me reproduce myself in others. There's so many people out there that seem to have no hope. But I've got hope because I've got Jesus. 
I've got hope because I've got Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I just sense the Lord moving in a beautiful way. I was talking to one of our young men the other day. He's in the medical field, and he said he was able to talk to someone about Christ. And I said, man, that's awesome. <laughs> I thought it was interesting. I said, you're not going to catch any flack for it, are you? He said, I don't care. My first commitment is to the Lord. Fred, I'm becoming a, a sentimentalist. It's getting disgusting. I think about people over the course of my life that would stay at the altar with me and pray when the rest of the church had gone for the day. I think about those people. When I was a teenage boy. I was kind of like Aaron I talked to you about earlier. I was that uncanny fella. I used to sit on the front row until my pastor's wife came to me one day and she said, Donald, do you mind to move back to the second row? I thought I'd done something to offend someone. I said, did I do something wrong? She said, no, I'm just afraid. When you're stretching out your legs on the front row, you're going to trip my husband, the preacher. And I moved to the second row and I stayed there, stayed there for years to come. But there was a brother. He's a big old burly fella. His name was Keith. And man, I'd be all broken up, life's cares. Some girl had broken my heart, kicked me to the curb. Some friend had let me down. I was a big old crybaby. Man, he wouldn't say a word. I just followed him into his arms and he would just let me sob. He'd say, well, is that really necessary? Yes, it is necessary. If a teenage girl walks up to you, dear sister, and reaches out to you and wraps her arms around you and she just wants to cry, you take the time to let her cry. The power of presence. God bless you. Bishop and Janice Hagee, thank you so much for being with us today. We love you. You are a great representation of the Pulaski Church of God and the kingdom of God. And we're grateful that we could pull a surprise on you today. And uh, God bless you for uh, being here in the house of the Lord. Have a great day.